This talk by John Sutherland is the eighth of nine in the series, Vimalakirti, The Dream of Awakening and the Room Where the Broken Heart Mends. It was given at Cerro Gordo Temple in Santa Fe, New Mexico, on July 14, 2011. Good evening, Bodhisattvas. We're continuing with the sutra that Vimalakirti spoke, which is a text about 2,000 years old um, that had a, a profound influence on the creation of the koan tradition in China several hundred years after that, which is our root tradition. And the sutra takes place largely, at least in the middle sections, in Vimalakirti's room in a city in northern India. He's a householder and a bodhisattva, which means a person who has, although um, having attained a great awakening themselves, has dedicated that awakening to the benefit of all beings and so remains in the world working toward the awakening of everybody. Um, And um, he's sick, and so Manjushri, who is the bodhisattva of insightful wisdom, has come to pay a call on him in his illness, bringing along 30,000 or more of his closest friends. So these 30-some thousand um, bodhisattvas and and private Buddhas, which is a term that will come up tonight, uh, a private Buddha in contrast to a bodhisattva is someone who is um, also seeking enlightenment but for their own benefit um, so that they can get off the wheel of birth and death and remain in nirvana. So... For um, for the private Buddha, Buddhas of the of the Buddhist world, um, Buddhism is an amusement park where the ticket gets you off the ride. Um, the bodhisattvas, on the other hand, remain steadfastly on the ride, no matter how seasick they get, <laughs> until everybody else is off too. Okay, so um, so these these all these um, bodhisattvas and private Buddhas have assembled in in Vimalakirti's ten by ten foot room, and the whole sutra in this middle section and the rest of it as well, really takes the form of one conversation after another. So there are these conversations in all these different. Um, um, permutations. Sometimes Manjushri and Vimalakirti have a conversation. Uh, sometimes Shariputra, who's one of the bodhisattvas and kind of represents that whole um, gang of people who are there, uh, has a conversation with Vimalakirti. Sometimes Shariputra talks with the goddess who lives in the room, um, in Vimalakirti's room with him. And tonight we're going to focus on what's considered the culmination of all of those conversations. And interestingly enough, it ends in a thunderous silence, one of the most famous silences in, uh, in all of this literature, which still uh, reverberates down to us 2,000 years later. This is a conversation about non-duality, which everything else has been more or less in one form or or another. So um, Vimalakirti says to these 30-some thousand assembled followers of the way, how does the bodhisattva go about entering the gate of non-duality, 
Let each of you explain it as you understand it. So many of them step forward and they they offer first a duality and then they offer a resolution of that duality, usually through a kind of philosophical discourse, which is probably less interesting to us than it was to them. Um, But I wanted to read just a partial list of the dualities that got brought forward because it gives us a sense of the pervasiveness of dualistic thinking, the way we just make dualities all the time. And if we remember back to um, the words of the goddess when she's speaking to Shariputra, um, when she, when they're talking about the nature of flowers, and he's saying that flower, Shariputra says that flowers are not in accord with the Dharma, and the goddess says, uh, it is not the flowers that are not in accord with the Dharma, it is your mind that is not in accord with the Dharma, if you think that. And so just look at all the ways our mind makes dualities. Here's the here's a short list. Birth and death, darkness and light, self and other, I and mine, self and no self, grasping and rejecting, perception and non-perception, defilement and purity, true and false, mind and thought, form and formless, Bodhisattva aspirations and private Buddha aspirations, good and bad, blame and blessing, bondage and liberation, passion and the absence of passion, wisdom and ignorance, created and uncreated, worldly and unworldly, samsara and nirvana, which is to say the world of birth and death and um, the world of the absence of birth and death the birthless world. To yearn for nirvana and to not delight in the world. Exhaustible and inexhaustible. Enlightenment and ignorance. Correct way and erroneous way. Form and emptiness, real and unreal. The four elements, earth, water, fire, and wind, and emptiness or space. I and the objects it observes, ear and sounds, nose and smells, body and tangible things, mind and phenomena. And these dualities come not just in twos. They come in other forms too. So so Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha are offered as a duality. That's interesting. Meritorious actions, transgressive actions, and doing nothing are offered as a duality. So, an indication of how much time we spend sorting things into piles and then labeling the piles, basically according to our sense of what they mean to us. So they, they give all of these specific instances of dualities and how to resolve them, so how to enter this gate of non-duality. And here you have um, a working out of duality at the, in the form world, in the world of our daily lives, in, which includes the thought world. So the world of our thoughts and feelings and reactions and events and physical sensations and how we deal with dualities one by one by one by one as we, as we go through the moments of our day and all these different dualities arise. Okay, so, so the first part of the conversation is this multiplicity, this sort of all-pervasiveness of a, a dualistic view of the world. 
So then they all, the multiplicity, the many, ask the one, Manjushri, who is this embodiment of insightful wisdom, how does the Bodhisattva enter the gate of non-duality? What's the view of, of insightful wisdom, um, as it, which is the, the bright, clear, empty world, as opposed to the world of the many, of multiplicity? And Manjushri replies, as I understand it, it is to be without words, without explanations, without expression, without cognition, transcending all questions and answers. This is to enter the gate of non-duality. So the bodhisattvas having brought forth the many, the multiplicity of ways that we experience duality in the world, Manjushri goes and just sweeps it all back into emptiness. He says, how you enter that gate of non-duality is you just don't have words, you don't have explanations, you don't have thoughts. You just sweep it all back into emptiness. Um, So there's a contrast here between the careful inquiry of the world of form and the negation of everything in the world of emptiness that Manjushri represents. And implicit in Manjushri's view is a choice of one over the other, right? Which is the imposition of yet another duality, even as we're discussing how to enter the gate of non-duality. I mean, it's just so difficult to escape, and I think that's, that's part of the point. Okay, so then Manjushri turns to Vimalakirti, the sick householder bodhisattva. And um, if Manjushri represents insightful wisdom, Vimalakirti represents wisdom that includes the heart, that includes compassion. I don't, I don't want to set it up as a kind of heart-mind duality, <laughs> but more like what it's like if you have Manjushri's insight, but you include the warmth of the heart and the fearlessness of the heart. Um, one, of the, one of the ways maybe we can sort of sum up the difference between Manjushri and Vimalakirti is Manjushri lives in an emerald green palace, kind of full of light and cold and hard and perfect and unchanging, like a gemstone. And Vimalakirti was kind of known for prowling the back alleys of the town he lived in and hanging out in wine shops and brothels and down at the docks and places like that. Okay, so Manjushri from the Emerald Palace says to Vimalakirti, hanging out in the back alleys, Each of us is given an explanation. Now, sir, it is your turn to speak. How does the Bodhisattva enter the gate of non-duality? At this point, Vimalakirti remains silent, saying nothing. Manjushri Manjushri sighed, say that ten times fast, and said, Excellent, excellent. Not a word, nothing spoken. This truly is to enter the gate of non-duality. So I want to look at the nature of Vimalakirti's silence because it's tremendously important. Um, first, you may remember, those of you who've, who have been coming to these talks, that at a certain point in the conversation between Shariputra, representing the Bodhisattvas, and the goddess, the goddess asks him how long he's been liberated, how long he's been awakened, but he won't answer her question. 
So there is a kind of silence, right? And she asks him why. Why won't he speak? Why is he remaining silent? And he says, liberation can't be spoken of in words, and so I don't know what I can say to you. And then she replies, words and writing are manifestations of liberation. All things that exist are manifestations of liberation. So she's saying, you're making words um, specially bad. You know, they can't, there's somehow a duality with liberation. They can't express liberation. And she's saying, ridiculous. Words are like anything else. Everything else is speaking the Dharma all the time. So um, this, this is a silence that is an inability to speak. Shariputra can't speak. He doesn't know how to speak. He's, um, he's, he's locked in a kind of duality where he thinks it's better not to speak, that somehow that's truer to liberation, not to speak. So he's falling short of being able to speak. Um, Vimalakirti's silence, on the other hand, is not an inability to speak, but a kind of affirmation. It's not the absence of something, it's not the absence of words or the absence of speaking, but the presence of something else. And I want to talk some about that something else. Um, In Vimalakirti's silence, there's a kind of invitation to find a way to express what is inexpressible, to F what is ineffable. And that is one of the foundational invitations of the koan way. Yes, it's inexpressible. Yes, there's no way to really do it justice, you think. And, and, you know, all of that is true. Do it anyway. Express the inexpressible. If you can't describe it, if you can't explain it, all the better. Don't, dis- don't try to describe it. Don't try to explain it. Show it. Demonstrate it. Become an instance of it yourself. And that, again, is crucial to the koan way. Express the thing itself. Express the inexpressible yourself. And, um, and do it in a way that it becomes visible, apparent, manifest to all of us. So, from the koan perspective, that's the deepest kind of conversation we can have. And you don't have to make a big production to have it, but it's those moments when we're speaking with each other, or we're in each other's presence, or we're doing something together. We're just looking at each other, or we're looking together at a sunset, or we're helping someone who's just had a car accident. Whatever it is, those moments when we are with everything we are expressing the inexpressible and there's nothing missing and there's no need to make a commentary about it or tell a story about it it's all right there it's all contained in what we might call the event field which is the field in which any event is happening and as we have spoken of so many times that field in which any event, any moment is occurring is a vast thing, full of many things. And we add our 
expression of the inexpressible to that field and it becomes part of it. Um, Okay, so the first thing then is that Vimalakirti's silence is not an inability to speak like Shariputra's was. And it's also not a negation like Manjushri's was. Manjushri says, get rid of words, get rid of speech, get rid of explanations, get rid of cognition, don't even think, you know. So everything, everything is negated. Um, what, what has been produced is, is swept away, is, is called inadequate and turned away from. Um, but Vimalakirti's silence is in no sense a negation like that. As I said a few minutes ago, it's the presence of something, not the absence of something. So we might say that it's an invitation, that silence, into the moment before either the inability to speak or the negation of any kind of speech. It's as if Vimalakirti is saying, the gate into non-duality isn't in front of you, it's behind you. And all you have to do is step back through it into that space. And I think the importance of that is it's already there. We already know it. We know that space. It's behind us all the time. We've been there. And all we have to do is to step back into it into that space. And in that space, what is affirmed, rather than Manjushri's negation, what is affirmed is um, in that moment before we either can't do something or we're trying to figure out what we ought to do or we're trying to express it or we're trying to, we're trying to, trying to, trying to, trying to, in the moment before, anything is possible because we haven't narrowed it down by thinking either we can't do anything or we have to do something and now we have to figure out what we have to do. Before we enter into any of those kinds of thought processes, anything is possible because everything is present in that moment before. Nothing is excluded. We haven't narrowed things down. We haven't said, not this or that, but somewhere in here I've got to figure it out. Um, so it's, it's an affirmation of what can become possible from that space rather than a negation of what happens when you step out of it, which is what Manjushri is doing. So Vimalakirti is saying, don't step yet, don't step yet. What happens in that larger space? Um, And I think here is one of the most um, crucial misunderstandings about the nature of Chan and Zen and the koan tradition. 
which is usually around the ways it gets expressed as no self or no mind or you know all the all those kind of um, negative things because again those things are not pointing to the absence of something the absence of a self or the absence of a mind but they're talking about this moment just before that Vimalakirti is talking about when we step back through the gate when everything is present and anything is possible so there was another text that was introduced to China about the same time as the sutra that Vimalakirti spoke called the Diamond Sutra. And in there, it describes what then happens as abiding nowhere, let the heart-mind come forth. Abiding nowhere, let the heart-mind come forth. And that quote from the Diamond Sutra became um, a koan that we still use to this very day. Some of you have worked with that. Um, So, what is that? What is abiding nowhere? Let the mind come forth. What's the invitation there? I think it is uh, a recognition that we've talked about how each event, each moment that we are walking into um, is an event field, is a vast field. In fact, we could say that, you know, the moment stretches from one end of the universe to the other and from f- before the beginning of time to after the end of time. That's, that's this present moment. Um, but if, so if every, if every moment is an event field like that, within us too is a vast field. Within us, too, is, is a vast field where we have all of our own personal history, everything we've come to understand and to know and to feel and to experience, all of our skills and all of our um, the places where we're not so good and all of that, um, but the, where we also connect to the vastness ourselves. And we bring that field into any moment, any event we enter. So one of the ways to think about how do we step out of that moment before and into the event field is how do we bring this field we carry in us into the field of the moment and how do we find where they connect, where they interpermeate, how are they continuous, how are what we bring how is what we bring continuous with what else is happening in the field? Um, so, abiding nowhere is the moment just before. And what that's talking about is what's it like to be in that moment before where nothing's happened yet and so everything is possible and not to take a position. What if you don't take a position? That's what abiding nowhere means. What if you don't think that the the first thing you got to do about anything is have a viewpoint about it, right? What's my angle? (laughs) You know, how how do what? How am I coming at this? How do I line up with this? All of those kinds of questions. What do I think about this? What's my opinion? What's my assumption? What if you don't take a position? What if you abide? nowhere. And again, that's not pointing to the absence 
of something so much, the absence of a viewpoint or a position, as it is saying, if you don't take that position or that viewpoint, you're... Everything, everything you are, the whole field of you, gets brought into the situation equally. Because you haven't chosen some things over other things. So it's this invitation to bring the whole field of everything you know, everything you feel, everything your body knows, you know, every experience you've had, all of your understanding, to bring all of that equally to the situation without picking and choosing ahead of time. I'm going to lead with this or I'm going to use this toolkit, the toolkit I use in this situation. But the whole thing together. Um, So... Abiding nowhere, allowing everything to be brought equally into the situation without narrowing it down ahead of time. Let the heart-mind come forth. And that's really important. Again, it's an affirmation of what becomes possible when we do that. Let it rip. Express it. Be an instance of it. Get into the field. Bring what you can bring and see what it can be happen. We'll see what can happen as a result. So we are in no way being asked to be empty in the sense of vacant or hollow. We're being asked to abide nowhere without a fixed position so that exactly the whole field of the self is engaged in the moment. We step back into the moment before. We find that place of abiding nowhere. And all of that comes forward into the moment. Our whole field engaging with the whole field. One way we've talked about that is um, from a poem of a a Chinese, another Chinese householder ancestor named um, Mahasattva Fu from roughly the same kind of time period who began a poem with the line with empty hands I take hold of the plow it's exactly the same thing with empty hands with hands that have not been limited by what I've already decided my hands abiding nowhere which means my hands which hold all possibilities because I haven't narrowed it down. Take hold of the plow. Lift up the child. Type away on the computer. Till the garden. Whatever it is, those empty hands connect with, interpermeate with the world, and something happens as a result. So in the space of the moment before, which is the space that Vimalakirti's thunderous silence is inviting us into, we're including everything. We're taking place with everything. And that space um, where we've stepped backwards through the gate, because we've stepped backwards through the gate, connects with the vastness because that's what that space is that space is where we touch the vastness so we're stepping back into that that place we know that place that's always available to us and it connects forward into the world 
into the event that's about to happen. So there we stand in the moment before, connecting in both directions, everything being present, everything inside of us, as well as everything outside of us present. And then we walk. Then we use our empty hands to do something. Um, It's as if, rather than retreating, quite the opposite, we're, um, we're finding that place from which to launch ourselves, as it were, into the moment. So um, that's the foolishness of a whole lot of words about female Kirti silence. One of the things that, that I think Vimala Kirti is saying that's so revolutionary and which really gets taken up in the koan way is, you know what? We don't have to figure that out. All we have to do is take a step back into that space before all that stuff arose. As soon as we notice it arising, we don't have to figure out why do I always feel that way? Why is that always my reaction? You know, what happened in my childhood that caused me to um, respond this way? You know, you don't have to do any of that. It's not, which is not to say that that's not valuable in some other way, but it's also possible to just step back, step back into the moment before, let it all rise and let it all fall away again, and feel what it's like when we're, when those things are not organizing um, how we behave, what we do, how we feel about things, what we think. And that's a, that's a really revolutionary um, idea. And here's this practice that actually enables us to do that again and again and again and again until it becomes quite natural. Um, we were just in a retreat last week, and one of the themes we were looking at was that was what would it be like if you met every moment, everything that happened in the retreat, with an attitude of neither for nor against, and what would it be like if you met yourself with neither for nor against, which I think first of all makes visible how many times um, a minute <laughs> we have judgments. And opinions that need, you know, that that we can respond to with neither for nor against, and that's that's non-duality because, um, you know, what happens in this in the sutra is all the many bodhisattvas represent all of the ways we we deal with non, with duality all the time and the ways we're trying to resolve it, and that's real in our lives, and and then Manjushri represents the sort of empty perspective where you just negate it all it's not you know it's all empty and then and then Vimalakirti says what what's the thing that's neither for nor against what's a non-duality that's neither that isn't picking one side or the other as the way to go what's the what's if that's a and b what's c and um, I think that's what's so powerful about that silence. What's it like before we get into all that stuff? And we think we either have to work it out or negate it, you know? What's, put that down. Just put that down. Back away from for or against. Back away from making piles. And stand in that space where none of that has happened yet. What's the freedom of that place? Did you have a felt sense of that? Yeah? 
So, so one of the things that that stepping back into that really big space makes possible is we can become aware so much more clearly of those little impulses, those little lights. And then the question becomes not, what do I want to do, but what wants to happen? Right? That's what's possible in that space. It's such a huge difference. And then you just go with it, you know, and you see what happens. Thank you all. These talks are made available through your donations to Cloud Dragon, the Joan Sutherland Dharma Works. To learn more about her teachings and to make a tax-deductible contribution, please visit our donate page at JoanSutherlandDharmaWorks.org.